now. Three, two, one, go! What's up, everybody? This is episode 107 of Cool Down Time. This is a weekly show where two ridiculously busy guys cool down and talk video games. I'm your graphically impressive host, Marco, and joining me is the technical mess of the show, Pablo. Pablo, these are dog days for us Xbox fans, but uh, that aside, how are you holding up? How's your week? That's going pretty good. Uh, what I've been doing is um, playing some video games uh, here and there, but mostly just waiting on tears of the kingdom to unlock on my nintendo switch so i can go ahead and jump into that damn thing <laughs> did you now, did, did you press a when you saw that thing down did you actually see if it was going to like turn on and work did you do that uh, yeah i put a picture of it up on uh on twitter he did that. Uh, shut up pops uh it's it's still it's giving me an error message it is an error message right. saying that it's not ready uh i've contacted nintendo of usa of japan and of ireland specifically oh, okay um uh, Reggie, I reached out to Reggie because I know he got the hookup. And rudely, none of them have responded. Uh, hmm. So they will be hearing from my lawyers. I don't know. Okay. We'll you got a whole law firm on the attack. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, a retainer for uh, for yeah. situations such as this. For when my um, Yeah, <laughs> I had to, man, because, you know, uh, they said Friday, but did they mean it, though? Right. You know, Yo, I'm going to have my hands He's full kinda... next week. You guys don't even <laughs> know. I'm going to have to box him in because he'll talk about Zelda for, for 38 years and he won't he won't breathe yeah. until the next day. I mean, I have been talking about Zelda for about 37 years. So, yeah, you know, we in there, bro. Ew. So. <laughs> I'm uh I'm actually I'm actually uh thinking about starting Ocarina of Time just to kind of pass the time. I knew you a were going to do that in, in the world in the world of Zelda Link I had, and yeah. friends. I had a feeling you were going to go back to a Zelda at some point just to kind of get reacquainted, get get in that mode again. Um, what what would you say yeah. before we get started with the show? What would you say would be the best? I mean, keep accessibility to the side, like as far as like it's hard to get to play this game nowadays, but like yeah. What game would you say is like the best refresher Zelda to come back to? I mean, refresher in what sense? Because I would say Breath of the Wild because of the obvious, you know, mm-hmm. connection to Tears of the Kingdom. But in terms of like a vibe, yes. Um, uh, I I would have said Twilight Princess if those first like five hours weren't like mm. hor- horrible almost. I I mean I got to stick to the classic, either uh, Ocarina of Time or. Uh, a link between worlds ah, uh, would be kind say. of like my my two things. I, I love Wind Waker specifically. My issue with Wind Waker is that not an issue, but the thing why it wouldn't qualify here is because it's it's quite a departure from uh, the other games. Yeah, uh, but it is fantastic. Top three sure. Zelda game. Uh, but yeah, that that would be those refreshers for sure. Okay. Got you. Well, we'll we'll save all the Zelda talk for next week, but. Uh, in the meantime, Pablo, what are we going to talk about this week? Tell us what we got on the docket. Nothing. Well, uh, we got a, quite a few things on here. Uh, the atrocity that is Redfall. Mm. Uh, the Phil Spencer interview. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cover that. The future of Xbox and how to fix them. We're going to put our fixer hats on and, and get into corporate uh bullshit here and <laughs> fix the company for you we're gonna do your job for you phil and why everyone hates kutaku 
and much, much more. Yeah, absolutely, man. We got we got we got a hell of a show. This is gonna be an interesting one. Uh, we're coming in hot with a lot of Xbox talk, as you would probably expect, given the latest uh, and greatest, or not so greatest news uh, and happenings. But before we get into that, um, first of all, like I said, thank you all for listening to the show. We appreciate you for coming in. If you're a new listener, if you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. Uh, we do this show every week, every Monday, so stay tuned for more episodes next week, including our Tears of the Kingdom-themed uh, episode coming up after this one. Uh, but in the meantime, Pop, let's get into the first segment of the show dedicated to the games we've been playing since our listeners last heard from us. That's called Loadouts. Let's go. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, so Pablo, we have a choice here. We have a choice. Do, do you want to do you want to get into Redfall now, or do you want to get through the other stuff first before we get into Redfall? What do you What are you feeling right now? Yeah, let's get through the other stuff because uh, we can compile our feelings about Redfall the game and then transition over right into the mm. Phil Spencer stuff. Uh, like but we that. do have another story we could talk about. But uh, yeah, yeah, let let let's hit off with the other stuff first. Let, let's go there. All right, you want to start it off? You want me to go um, off? You know what? I actually want you to to jump in first here with 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 uh, with Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Tell us what's been going on yeah. since you last talked to us about it, and uh, what's your experience been like as you've been continuing down the Jedi path. The Jedi Path. Last week well, was early days in Jedi Survivor, uh, though I, I've gotten I got far enough to to kind of appreciate the game and, and and say on the show that I really was enjoying my time. And as time has passed by, that has not changed. Uh, I, I think a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing with Jedi Survivor, as I go deeper into the experience, is just the the little things that really make it work for me. Uh, what what Survivor does that so many AAA games don't always do is that attention to detail like from tree branches splintering from secondary contact the thing that you threw at it you know like it's it's a secondary thing where it happens off in the distance you might miss it if you're not even seeing it but all those particles and all that is in place uh the ground catching fire and flowers and tall grass catching fire what you walk across it with your lightsaber on Mm. like because your lightsaber is pure you know light and it's gonna catch shit on fire and all of a sudden, you're standing there with your lightsaber on, and you're in a tall grass, and all of a sudden, there's fire where you're like, oh, oh my bad. <laughs> it was me. Uh, uh, to the different sounds, every single color of the lightsaber makes. Obviously, you can customize your lightsaber. There's about nine different colors, and each color represents something in the world of, of Star Wars, represents something different, and each of those colors have distinct sounds that, weirdly enough, kind of match the meaning in, in, in tonality-wise in terms of the, uh, of the lightsaber color. Uh, I, I think uh, the visual representation of speed or zero gravity on things like Cal's hair is super dope. I do have a long hair right now on Cal, and that's a little wonky because every time he goes downstairs, his hair just goes like this. Oh, it just stands up. Uh, yeah. It stands up straight up. Uh, but everything else in terms of like oh, the hair physics and just body physics, all that is so good. Just the, the body and the way it animates in the air and how it contorts to turn and all that. Obviously, it's Jedi-ish. There's Jedi shit going on in terms of how long you can stay in the air, but still the body still works like the body. And really, it, it's it's just kind of a beautiful game to look at, and it feels amazing to play. Uh, something I didn't really t- touch on last week are the different stances that you can equip in the game. Uh, there's a single blade stance, there's a which is more of a traditional Jedi saber. There's a double blade, if you think about Darth Maul from the prequels. The dual blade, if you played the Force Unleashed Part 2, they have that. Blaster and blade is just that. It's a gun and, a, and, a, and the 
the actual um, uh, blade, uh, and then uh, the cross guard. If you think of the new uh, the new Star Wars movies, Kylo Ren, which is like that long sword, mm. uh, you could think of that more of like the um, broadsword in Elden Ring or, or uh, kind of like Got that you. that um, those kind of games. Uh, obviously, the single blade is more of a balanced stance. The double gives you more speed, same as a duel, uh, and the cross guard gives you a more slow and methodical approach. The what, what I'm using is the double blade, which is a Darth Maul one, and the cross guard because it gives you the both the best worlds. It gives you the power of the cross guard and it gives you the speed of the double sword. And you can really kind of elect to have any because you can only put two stances at one time. You can elect to have any of those at one time and really change the way you play the game drastically. If you're not careful with the cross guard, I mean, two slices can kill an enemy very quickly but if you're not if you're not careful you're not timing those swings correctly you're gonna get punished for it so i i just love the the i just love the immersion of you becoming your own jedi sure you're playing as cal kestis but you get to pick his color lightsaber which gives him kind of a a background and then also you get to pick the the style in which you you uh, of the style of jedi that you want to be um and then you know as as i'm going through it as the story progresses uh the flow is a slow burn um there's a lot of fetch quests that push the story forward ever so slightly now that sounds negative but everything that you do in that game is a, a, a complete and utter blast it really is my my frustration with the game in that point is you're going through this elaborate uh uh, platforming section and then it's all this action is happening and then you get to this little room and there's like a little piece of thing you pick up oh there's the thing we came all the way here for let's go right back to the other planet to give it to this other jedi it's like it, it, the grandiose part of that game becomes so small and so kind of it just co- it feels a little bit like lame when you get to the thing that's going to move the story forward mm. and that happens a lot and obviously it doesn't get away from the picky star wars stuff i'm gonna get a little nerdy here um in Star Wars, the Order 66 wiped out all the Jedi. That's the, the order that the Emperor gave to kill all the Jedi. And then when you look at the movie like New Hope, it's telling you that there is no Jedi in the world. Like like Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan, who's been a retired uh, Jedi, you know, they're the first ones coming out of the, starting to come out after they all died, which is absolute and utter bullshit when you look at every other piece of media in Star Wars. There are so many Jedi out there doing like fucking intergalactic changing. They're changing the world, the, the way the universe works, and nobody talks about it in the game. And Cal Kestis is one of these guys who's a huge Jedi. He's doing these incredible things, and nobody ever talks to him in any of the other IP. That is, connected to this so that's a little frustrating uh because it's just it's a little bit nitpicky i admit but it's kind of like uh, you know in the grander scheme of things a lot of the stuff doesn't feel uh great mm. um and then one thing i will say to kind of wrap this up here and 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 the way i'm feeling about the game there's something about this game that is absolutely unacceptable oh and i'm not talking about and i'm not talking about game crashes and i'm talking about um any kind of technical thing, though I, I've not run into a lot of that. I've been I've been kind of uh, blessed in that uh, instance. But Jedi Fallen Order has infamously a terrible map system, a ma- a horrible holographic map system. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that map system isn't so detrimental to the game itself because the world and and the way that the you progress through those levels are pretty. Um, 
they're not as open. You know, they're they're, they're pretty linear, uh, comparatively speaking. So when you look at Jedi Survivor, there are maps in this world, world there are world maps in this place that are massive and huge, and you have to navigate to them in order to get to the next big story point. And that hollow map shows up, and it's absolutely atrocious. <laughs> and there's more than one level to what you're going to, and there is in, in a few maps. There's like mountains and things. You have to scroll through the level, guess the level in which you're trying to, to get to and then figure out how you're going to get there and you have to do that level by level by level and it is absolutely an atrocious so much so that they know this because in the accessibility options there's an option to turn on an additional map marker and beacon sounds whenever you're close to the objective but it doesn't solve the issue because you still have to navigate that map in order to get to the objective uh, in order to hear the sound in order to see the additional marker oh great an additional marker is telling you where to go where is this additional marker? What level am I at? And if I go through here, am I going to come into a dead end because there's an, an accessible path? Or There's no way that the game tells you exactly where to go, and the, the, there is no mini-map. When you look at these uh, very popular, successful open-world games, they all have a mini-map because those worlds are so big and massive, they know you have to get around. And there is a system where you put up a waypoint, and it tells you exactly where to go because those worlds are huge, and you're trying to go through the main story path. And when you try to do this here, there's none of that. You you mark the main mission, sure, and it shows up as a big emblem on the map, but it doesn't give you a pathway to get there yeah. other than this section somewhere over here. And I think what they're trying to do is cheaply insert this Elden Ring, Breath of the Wild, explore the world and find the objective. But it doesn't work because while there's a lot to do, there's not that much to do. It's not a sandbox. Right. So there's not, it's not really like exploratory. You're not really benefiting from, from exploring as much. Uh, so ultimately that's unacceptable. And it, and it, and it feels a lot bigger than what people are. People are really not talking about this issue. You know, they're kind of rushing it off. I think it's huge. I, it's not really affecting my love for the game as much as you would expect, but. That's because I've been in hours and hours in this specific map, and I know the ins and outs of the map a little, right? So that's not bothering me too much. But if I encounter a new map so deep into the game and I have to relearn everything about that, it's going to be quite frustrating. And honestly, it's it's a little bit unacceptable at this point. I mean, if they make a third game, Respawn, you guys do great games here. Uh, you guys can't do this again. This is there's no way. This is archaic. I know they're trying to make it seem like it's part of the Star Wars world because when you look at the movies, that hollow map is part of the whole thing. I get it, but you're you're actually killing the immersion by me having to go into the map every five fucking seconds to make sure that I'm going the right way because uh, two steps to the left and I'm all of a sudden in the wrong area mm-hmm. and I'm fucking locked. Uh, I'm surrounded by uh, by areas where I can't go and I have to double back. It's a complete pain in the ass uh, and it is the worst part to this game. It's when the Metroidvania of, this, of the game comes out and it kind of shits a, a little bit on the quality, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, full disclosure, I mean, one of the games on my loadouts is Fallen Order. Um, because I thought, you know, I've been on kind of a roll with like, let me come back to a game that I didn't like the first time and let me see if I like it the second time. Um, and I, and, and Fallen Order was one of those games where I could recognize the quality. I knew it was, you know, a good game by Respawn. I don't believe that they got it wrong, but ultimately, um, through playing it for the last couple days, I, I think I'm kind of at 
or around where I think you are. Obviously, having not played Jedi Survivor myself, I think I can still agree with those little nagging issues, particularly with the map, the layout, and just the use of, or the lack of a use of a mini-map. I think those things present a series of small but meaningful inconveniences that make um, basic pacing and flow of that game very difficult. And then you add in at least for Fallen Order, a bevy of environmental puzzles, which, you know, I know that yeah. I have a personal aversion to those, but I do think that there mm-hmm. is an argument to be made that um, they can get so far in the way of just being a fucking Jedi and, you know, being able to go and, and use your damn lightsaber on things. But instead, you know, I find myself for, you know, almost 30 minutes pushing these huge round stone cylinders to these little spots that they're supposed to go in just to create another, you know, access point to go to a different room. It it just got yep. to a point where it, it's very gamey in that way. And um, ultimately it was uh, a pace killer for me. And so yep. even though there are things that I enjoy about the game, particularly I, I do like the storytelling. I think it's very, uh, very solid. I do like the overall presentation quality. I think it's very well done in that regard. And I do, I do buy into it being a very Star Warsy game. I think it does a great job at being a Star Wars game. I just think that as a game, um, there are some of those weird little naggy caveats that don't exactly make it a bad experience. I do think it's a good game, but it, I think it is a game that speaks to a very specific type of gamer who has a bit more patience yeah. with different types of variety um, that that I don't necessarily have. It, rem- it reminded me a lot of how I felt of Ragnarok's pacing, where it felt like, okay, I just want to fucking right. fight. You know, like, let me go fight. But no, I, I've oh, got, I got to do this bow and arrow bullshit just to be able to light a torch over there to get here, to go there. And it just yeah. felt very puzzly after a while. And that, that just sort of feels like it it stands in the in against what I feel like the essence of a Star Wars experience should be. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at with Fallen Order. I'm not going to keep playing it, to be honest. It just it doesn't do much for me. And, and yeah. with Zelda coming around the corner, I would rather invest in other things uh, in the meantime. But, you know, I do agree in essence uh, with a lot of what you, you said about Jedi Survivor. I, and I will say, compare and compa- comparing the two, a lot of your complaints with environmental stuff uh, in puzzles pretty much gets addressed uh, in in Jedi Survivor because what they do is they make you be a Jedi in order to solve those uh, those environmental puzzles. There's a lot of, of platforming involved. A lot of stuff just makes a lot of sense. There's a really cool feature with like this connective tissue that you can spray out of BD1 and it, it can... You can like make a thing where it connects to the thing. I don't want to spoil it too much because that's actually a pretty yeah, cool thing that. That, that they do in the game. Uh, but uh, so there's a lot of stuff like that yeah. where uh, really f- makes it fun for the environmental puzzles, and they don't really get too lost in the weeds. But imagine all your issues that you're having with the map, but then ha- making the map an essential part of exploring in these huge open worlds that they or huge open world areas that they have. It's just they fix one thing and they double down on something else that just makes it a, yeah. a, equally as frustrating, unfortunately. Well, yeah, well uh let us know. Um, you know, if if you get to roll credits on that, uh tell us what you think about it once all said and done. Um, yeah. but in the meantime I because I, I beat Fallen Order even with all and I okay. and I personally thought Fallen Order was pretty mid. Uh, mm. In terms of like the overall package, I'm finding Jedi Survivor even at this point to be superior in just about every way. Gotcha. Um, all right, um, real quick, last game before we get to Redfall. I promise. Uh, Sackboy, a big adventure. 
Uh, I know you guys are like, what the fuck? But uh, me and my daughter <laughs> no. play the crap out of this uh, uh, routinely. Uh, it is far and away her favorite game she's ever played. Uh, she loves all of the art style, the music, the bells and whistles with the DualSense controller. Sorry, Pablo, but this is where the magic is. So for, this for is going to be upsetting because Sackboy is going to be your daughter's Mario, isn't it? it God damn she it. She is all about like the costumes, too, the free costumes that they have. Oh, sense. my yeah. God. That's her favorite part. She wants to be the princess. She wants to be the the one with the strawberry outfit on and the banana. She's she is in her glory with that game. Um, so much charm That's in so that dope. game. It has so much personality. The music is 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 terrific. A lot of the uh, the different levels are just um, so creative and so thoughtful. Um, it's not a particularly challenging game for people like you and me. For kids, it's a little bit of work. Um, but I think the experience, especially co-op, is a lot of fun. So for those of you parents out there, got a PlayStation, um, check out Sackboy A Big Adventure. I think your kid, I mean, if, if they kind of know their way around games already, I think they might actually have a good time with it. Not necessarily the game you go to first to introduce your kid to games. Uh, but, you know, uh, we don't want to dwell on that too much because not all y'all have kids. Um, <laughs> but here we go. Uh, this is uh, this is a game that uh, you know for one reason or another we've 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 been waiting with bated breath to finally play uh, for all this time since it's been announced. We are of course talking about Redfall, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and look, Pablo, you know I I I wish I had a lot to say about this. I wish I had this like ten minute tangent in the tuck to just kind of really lay into this game. But I really think that, and I'm just going to kind of go first here because I think I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat short and sweet on this. I think the, the, the plain facts are that Redfall is unfinished. Redfall is uninspiring. Redfall is unjustifiable and Redfall is unacceptable. Whether it's the meandering gameplay loop the horrendous enemy AI, the laughable bugs, the bland missions, the 30 FPS caked with motion blur, the mediocre art style, the rampant texture pop-in, uh, the lackluster story, or the shoestring budget-like energy with cinematics and presentation. Um, you know, Pablo, to me, Redfall is a game that never misses an opportunity to embarrass itself. It's a game that never misses an opportunity to let players down. Um... It certainly let down Xbox, from what we heard, which we'll talk about when we get to the Phil Spencer interview. Um, and it's a game that, to me, joins um, Perfect Dark Zero as one of the most glamorously awful games that I think Xbox has ever really produced. Um, so, you know, you being the bigger fan of Arcane, you know, I, I kind of, that's just kind of where I'm at, but I'm, I'm more curious to know, as a big fan of theirs, what this experience has been like for you and you know, kind of your take on not only how the game is from a quality standpoint, um, but the reviews as well. I mean, it's currently at a 60 yeah. on Open Critic, Pablo. That is that is beyond dismal. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe that I turn on my Xbox and on Game Pass, there's Redfall ready to play, and I'm like, no thanks. I mean, because that, that's not something that we thought we would be doing. At the very least, we thought we'd get a decent game out of it uh yeah i mean just to kind of cover uh, everything you say i absolutely agree with i, I will say I th redfall is such a mess that it's absolutely baffling that they put this thing out i mean uh and when i say a mess i'm not even talking about like marco said none of the not even the technical stuff which is there it's just conceptually 
a, a mess. It doesn't execute in, on, on its idea. It just feels like they never really committed to what Redfall ultimately was going to be. Uh, say what you will about Arcane. Uh, and Marco has. <laughs> but when it comes to concepts and, and, and gameplay or des- or level design, it's pretty fleshed out what they do with, with Dishonored, Dishonored 2, even Prey, and even Deathloop to a certain extent. But they had a vision in those games, they executed, but with, with Redfall... It's just it just doesn't even feel like them. There's it's so bland and 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 it just doesn't make any sense as to. It feels like a game that they're like, oh, remember we were working on this game like years ago. Let's go ahead and, and dust that shit off and and put it out on the Xbox Series uh, X because that's exactly what this feels like. Um, you know, um, I'm not gonna dwell too much on the specifics of the game itself. Marco was short and sweet about it in terms of what he feels about the game and i co-signed that 100 i think you know in addition to that visually the game looks ugly as hell i know people talk about the art style of it oh it's just the art style i think it, it would make sense if the art style was xbox 3 uh, xbox 360 painteresque because that's exactly what it, it looks it just looks bad it doesn't even look like they executed an art style when you look at dishonored one and two that that those games have art style and those games look better than, than Redfall in terms of the art style which and the way they execute that. Uh, but what I'll say is Arcane missed the fucking mark in a way that I, I can't comprehend. It's time for them to stop fucking around. Um, they are so desperate in not being the Dishonor team that they're out here creating these, these high concepts with very low, uh, for exa- at least for me, very low uh, fun factor. Like Deathloop is for people love Deathloop, and it, and and it, and, it, and it really rated highly. I don't understand why. I, I think Deathloop is just another one of those games that has a pretty good concept and they executed well enough on it. But conceptually, it's not very good. I don't I don't think it's very. It doesn't really kind of speak to what Arcane has done with Prey, Dishonored One and Two, and so it just feels like. All their, their 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 attempts to be different, but to be very, but to separate themselves from Dishonored, just just makes them look like they're they're like a one hit wonder. Like they only know how to make the arcane series of games and pray to a certain extent those kind of games. And maybe they are, and maybe that they, they should just stick to that, right? Make another Dishonored, make another Prey. But and and I know that that there's things out there with creatives like creatives create, but they've shown. That they, outside of those things, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Or at the very least, somebody has to get in those uh, pitch meetings and, and, and supervise them. Because there's some wild, harebrained ideas getting getting millions of dollars thrown into it. And they're coming out and they are absurd. I mean, Redfall, as soon as you start that game, I think that's the most impressive that game ever gets. You wake up on a boat. There's water everywhere, right? It's the the water's not yeah, you know frozen it has in time or whatever back it is. Yeah. It's frozen in time. That's the most impressive that game ha- was. And then as soon as you walk out of that section, it's just a complete atrocious mess. It's not even the same vibe. I almost feel like like the vampires that show up at the beginning of that game and the vampires you see out in the world. They're not even the same thing. I mean, they're like brainless. They're almost zombies of the vampire world. They, they, they they're not supposed to be like that. They talk. They have conscious thought and, and feeling, and they're supposed to be more menacing. And they're not. They're none of those things. This game is just a complete and utter mess. And it is. It's time for somebody to really get in there to to. 
see what Arcane is up to. We'll talk about it later in our checkpoint chatting in terms of how I feel about autonomy within these studios. But um, this is one of those studios that should not have that autonomy, should not have the the ability to create without people checking in on them because what they end up doing is some fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's some bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, so let me <laughs> let me address the arcane aspect of it because I think I didn't really get in enough into that part of it because uh, I think you're you're kind of right in looking at Arcane Studios a little bit skeptical now. Like there was a um, they did an interview and we covered it on the show. I don't remember what episode it was, but it was a couple months back, probably a little after Deathloop came out, and they talked about how the days of making a Deathloop were were pretty much kind of. Uh, um, sorry, uh, a Dishonored are pretty much uh, over, right? And that yeah. they were going to go into more... It was Harvey Smith. Yeah, more abstract direction, um, bigger, more ambitious, blah, 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 blah. Here's what that amounted to, right? This is the reality of the situation. And if you're arcane, I think you got to ask yourself some pretty powerful questions. You got to ask yourself if you're... Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think Pablo's going to like this verbiage, but... I would ask myself if I'm arcane, am I a little washed up right now? And I mean right now very specifically, because I think there's a way back from this if you're arcane. Uh, as much as I don't love their games, I've never I've never advocated for them. I don't uh, ever accuse them of being a bad studio. I just don't right. think they've made games that I particularly like. But right now, optically speaking, purely optics, y'all look washed up. You look like your best days are generations behind you at this stage of the game. And, you know, again, yes, you're right, Pablo. Deathloop reviewed very well. A lot of people love it. They still swear by it. It was their game of the year, blah, blah, blah. That's great. But um, you have, in the process of moving towards this direction, you've you've kind of, you've cast off a lot of fans that, that kind of rode with you along the journey, right? And, and, and not that you're beholden to make games that, Pablo wants a Dishonored three or a Prey two, but you do have some kind of connection with your fan base where you should know that okay, if we're gonna bring them into this thing called Redfall, right? If we really want to take the people that joined us for Dishonored and Prey, and we want them to buy into this thing. We can't just fling this shit together haphazardly. We have to make sure that we absolutely nail this. And I think the biggest mistake is Deathloop's critical success. I think that's what put the battery in their back, that they can pull that kind of response off again with Redfall. And so I think in a lot of ways, if, and I'm not in there internally, so I don't know what kind of conversations they've had, but I would, be, I would not be surprised if they looked at the reception of, of, of Deathloop critically and thought, you know, Whatever doubt we had before Deathloop came out, the reviews proved us wrong. That it, it actually yeah. was good. So let's not trip. I know Redfall might seem a little weird to you know Xbox executives, and we've shown it off, but maybe we'll have the same response here that we had with Deathloop, and that absolutely did not happen. So I think no. they've just done a poor job of welcoming fans like you, Pablo, into this next phase of who they are as a studio. They've done a poor job through, first of all, shitty-ass marketing, right? They, they took forever explaining what the fuck this game actually was about, right? They've done that twice. I mean, Deathloop... Twice. And now this, yeah. yeah. So they, they've done piss-poor job, uh, piss jobs of explaining what their games are actually about. Um, the, the slices of gameplay we've seen... 
um, were not representative of the final product. And, and then you come out and it's like every part of this game feels like it needed at least another year. So if this is your idea of how to transfer your fans from the dishonored era and pray era to the future, to the, to the present day, it ain't looking too bright. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to dip slightly into the checkpoint, just a sliver when there, there was an interview obviously that happened we're going to cover where I'm not not to checkpoint into hit points yeah. but Phil said that they that Redfall was already deep in development and that they've jumped onto Starfield in my understanding Starfield was in development for longer than Redfield than Redfall so in my here's where my head goes I almost feel like Redfall must have been and and I say this half joking half not i almost feel like redfall was a game that was being worked on by a small sec group of people and it was kind of like a side project in the drawer kind of thing something they were just kind of trying to mess with to dip their toes into the uh, live service uh, genre because the the fact that this game has been in development for so long that when Xbox bought Bethesda, they were so deep into development, makes me think that this game has had been around, uh, just been around longer. Uh, the same time as Prey, like when Prey came out, like around that same time. So even before pre, uh, predating Deathloop, because even then, I, I feel like those two games came hand in hand. So I, I almost feel like this game was probably a previous gen idea or something of that sort and possibly they tried to kind of spruce it up and, and release it because this is so unlike arcane even compared to Deathloop, that it, it just makes no sense like there's no way that they saw this game and thought that's good enough not not after playing dishonored dishonored 2 mm -hmm. prey and the attention to detail with when it comes to the immersive sim uh part of it all this just seems like you know, it just seems like irresponsible. Well, here's the thing. You know, in, in this, in when you said immersive sim, I smirked a little bit because here's my theory, Pablo. I don't think yeah. this was supposed to be an immersive sim. I think this was right. very literally going to be at one point a straightforward PVE four player co op ass game. I think yeah. that at some point in this development process, that had to have changed. Maybe partway because they got AAA. paranoid about how the live service uh, reputation is looking across the industry. Maybe because um, you know they didn't want to over monetize, like they may have been planning to do. Like there's reasons. This game is always online, right? Why, if it's an immersive sim and you yeah. can play solo, right? There's something to the scope of this Can't game. Pause. There's something to the scope of this game that was taken down. And, and kind of repurposed in a way that would be more palatable for the traditional arcane fans like yourself. I don't think this game that we got was supposed to be what it was. I think it, I think it was supposed to be a very left for dead ass kind of game with loot, cosmetics, right. and all that, all those bells and whistles. And I think they kind of doubled back on that, gutted a lot of components out, but they had to keep this always online infrastructure in because it was probably past the point of no return developmentally yeah. to fix that. And then they started throwing that word immersive sim back in to make sure people like you are right on board, came back right? To it. it was nothing but yeah. a, a tantalizing little character dangle for people like you to feel like, oh, it's still for me. I know this seems different, but it still could be for me. And I don't think it ever was for you. I don't think it ever was. 
No, no, no. I mean that that much is that much is true. I mean, you're right. It does almost feel like this was a a really game being made on the cheap double A thing that was now then given triple A money and they double triple down on certain concepts. Uh, and yeah, it just doesn't work at all in any facet. I mean, I yeah. I, I would say just to, if I'm gonna give something positive, I, I I it's not the worst game I ever played mechanically. No, it's right? not. It's not. It doesn't. It's not the worst game. The music is all right. I mean. Uh, yeah, you know, and then like going from the, the you know the open world isn't the worst worst open world I've ever played in either, but it's just not quality. It just feels very 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 cheaply put together, and it's supposed to be it is Xbox first game from Bethesda Zenimax next gen only title. Mm. Guys, next you can't play this Xbox 360 looking ass game on your Xbox One, I, and I hate to and I hate to be such a fucking asshole, but it's just <laughs> it, it's fucked up. Let it like I, I, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of shit out there with uh, with the developers, and I feel for them. Say, man, I've never seen so many people you know want us to do so bad, and I get it. The, the internet sucks, Twitter sucks, you know. But as a fan of Arcane, I have to say, from a consumer standpoint, I'm mad at you, bitch. Like you. <laughs> You, you, you made me. You made me a fan of your studio. I love Dishonored. I absolutely Dishonored, love Dishonored too. Uh, I, I I think Prey is phenomenal. Oh. Uh, less so with Deathloop, but you know I can forgive <laughs> one. But then, <laughs> and then Redfall comes out, and it's just a, it's just a complete miss. Like you you just pull the wool over my eye and just gate and just. I woke up next to you without makeup, oh, no. and I'm seeing you. You know, and, and I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> Not no makeup. Oh, I don't like Lord. it. I don't like it at all. Oh my um, god! You lied to me. You lied You are a whole ass mess. You understand me? Um, listen, we have to move on because we have a lot of other ground to cover when it comes to Xbox. I think this is the perfect time uh, to get that started in a second. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you like what you're hearing so far, makeup or not, uh, consider subscribing to our show. Like I said at the top of this, we drop new episodes every single Monday on all the streaming services you know. And if you're feeling extra cool, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at It's Cooldown Time. That is It's Cooldown Time. Now... It's time to keep the show going with our new segment that we call Hit Points. Let's get it. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. Something really wrong with this guy in the brain. Okay, let's get started with... <laughs> <laughs> He's just sitting there like, yep, now on to the next segment. Uh, all right, Papa, let's get this one out of the way real quick before we get to, back, uh, to the Xbox stuff again. Uh, the gaming publication Kotaku is under fire. For childish behavior towards Nintendo after they were blacklisted from all pre-release access to Nintendo's games. In an act of unprofessional retaliation towards Nintendo, Kotaku saw fit to publish an article that essentially divulged everything that has been leaked about The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Fucking Kingdom. <laughs> Effectively, spotlighting people who are actively spoiling the game to our community. Uh, this, along with having previously published an article that promoted the piracy and emulation of Metroid Dread, has enraged many. In addition to all this, Kotaku senior writer Luke Plunkett took to social media to plunk an already deleted post. <laughs> where he posted a picture of World War II fighter pilot that had a Nazi and Japanese emblem on it indicating how many the pilot killed. 
to effectively compare himself to said fighter pilot. Pablo, what do you have to say about this, and how far out of line has Kotaku officially gone here? Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they've, they're way out of line. I mean, the Kotaku has a history of being blacklisted by many publications, uh, by many developers. I yeah. know Bethesda famously blocked uh, Kotaku from all their shit. So at that point, at a certain point, you start thinking there's a common denominator here, and it is Kotaku. I mean, uh, whether or not their practices in terms of how they write articles, it comes into question. I don't know what the deal is. I'll just know that a lot of very powerful public uh, developers, publishers, so on and so forth, have considered that maybe giving Kotaku the opportunity to cover the game just isn't worth it. And for that to happen, it seems like, you know, it seems like there's some shit going on. I would love to know what's going on. What, you know, Jason Schreier left that company in weird terms and went to go work for Bloom uh, Bloomberg, where all his shit is pretty much behind the paywall so right. a lot of weird stuff happening yeah. but i'm not gonna get too much into that stuff because i don't know any of the facts all i know is this is that it is absolutely like you wrote childish and unprofessional in just about every way just to be like well if i'm not gonna get it well i'm gonna f- everybody's gonna get fucked up with the- these leaks now obviously you don't have to read the article that's fair and a lot of people have made that point well don't just don't read the article that's fine and i won't but the fact that it exists and the fact that it exists under the conditions in which, you know, we're seeing it, that's problematic because we go to publications, whether it be IGN, Polygon, Kotaku, whether you're a fan of any of those, but a lot of people go to that to read stuff. And recently they changed the name of the article in which has the, uh, the leaks on it. And it just seems like a like a cover, like a preview of of Tears of the Kingdom. When you click on it, it does give you a spoiler warning, but still, you know, it doesn't say spoilers in the title or anything. It, it really wants it's really trying to drive those clicks, and it's just so obvious. They're going the opposite. Oh, we're not going to cover it. We're going for fucking Ar- the Armageddon. We're going nuclear here. We're going for the opposite clicks. You know, we're going for the the the, the hate part yeah. uh, of the yeah. uh, the people who consume uh, this stuff. So it's absolutely ho- horrible. Luke Plunkett is another fucking, and I'll say this without hesitation, piece of shit. This guy has been on Twitter, social media, just mean, just being an asshole. Like, he, there's, you can't tell him anything. He's infamously or famously blocked everybody and anybody as many times as he possibly can. He's just one of those guys who gets into it, then blocks you. He just doesn't want to hear it from anybody. He's one of those guys that's just, he's, he's shitty. He's shady as well. So, I, him kind of posting a picture of him comparing himself to World War II fighter when it comes to how many people I black, blacklisted me, I'm a fucking, like, as, as wearing that as a badge of honor. And then the insensitivity of it being Japan, Japanese flags in, in terms of the situation coming up with Nintendo. Like, and then just kind of Nazi symbolism anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just fucking shitty to even bring about. The fact that Luke Plunkett compared himself to a World War II fighter, that just kind of culminates the, the what we kind of always knew about him. He's a piece of shit. An arrogant so, one, too. Uh, 
an, an arrogant one at that. So putting all these together, I mean, I, I, I used to be a fan of Kotaku back in the day. I think they were doing really important work within video game journalism. I think they were doing the opposite of IGN. They weren't covering games just to cover them. They were trying to find real stories within the, uh, the industry, giving people who usually don't have a voice, giving them a voice. That's, that's no longer the case. They've, they're, they're engaging in a lot of this fucking bullshit. And so it's unfortunate for them. And I wish them the best, I guess. Uh, but that's not a website that I'll be really visiting. I haven't been for many years now. But yeah, shitty all around situation for sure. Yeah. Um, journalistic integrity. Um, man, whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to it, man? Um, the Kotaku's of the world. Yeah. Um, man, I hate saying it because I don't want people to lose their jobs, but they don't deserve to exist. I'm sorry. Fuck Kotaku. And anybody in that place, you know, it, if if the people that have to work there to, to make ends meet but don't really, like, rock with what their company does, I get that. We've all been there before. But the people who work there who are kind of the flag bearers who have to be the people that constantly think that they're on this, like, this bigger mission in journalism, and, and you know, the, to think that they are the elite – to think that they have this pedestal um, that that sits above everybody else that they consider contemporaries because they're they're doing the real work by you know turning everything into these um, very controversial thought pieces and you know manipulating their viewership into not really getting what they came there to click and see but to kind of get this very fucking agenda driven horseshit from them more than actual games journalism is what happens when the the writer um makes themselves the star of the story and not yeah. necessarily the industry or field that they're covering right and and that's that's a telltale sign of a company that's about to fall apart because you can't you're not going to build relationships that way and they're starting to feel that now they can be as childish and petty and unprofessional about it as they want but when you lose all of nintendo trust me it's not going to be long before the other shoe drops and you eventually piss off PlayStation or you eventually piss off Xbox and they pull the plug from you. And now you have, well, no support anywhere other than some third parties that actually might still fuck with you or not or wouldn't care enough about you to not fuck with you. But that's not enough to make a sustainable long term business for Kotaku. So um, rather than depict themselves as World War II fighters, um, maybe they just need to eat some fucking humble pie and realize that if you want to still flourish in this business, um, you know, promoting piracy kind of isn't the way to do that. Spoiling arguably one of the biggest games in the last decade, not the way to do that. Um, and just generally putting yourselves as the headline or the star of the show is not the way to do that either. So uh, for those of you... You know, if you if you come across Kotaku things, I, I strongly suggest avoiding it if you don't already, because uh, they're, they're they're wild out here, and um, they represent I think the worst I've ever seen in games journalism, um, by far. And so, uh, yeah, fuck them. Yeah, and then a lot of and there's a lot of people like uh, who are prevalent, you know, pundits in the video game uh, industry who 
are kind of out here defending them a little bit. And I just, I guess you're thinking, am I being an asshole? Am I think you think going about this the wrong way? And then really, it's just, it just feels like them watching each other's backs, journalists. And yeah. I get that. I, I understand that. I'm not a journalist, so I don't have that responsibility or feel that responsibility to do that for them. Uh, so all I can see is what I can see, right? Right. I, and it's, and Kotaku, the website and everything they have on there is, is, most of the time, just kind of petty bullshit or just nonsensical articles about, you know, them waxing poetic, but really there you go. loving the way that they sound. That's yeah. exactly so, it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kotaku. Um, now, mm-hmm. Pablo, uh, it is time to get to the infamous Phil Spencer interview. As some of you know, Kind of Funny had an exclusive with Phil Spencer uh, where they discussed Redfall, the ABK deal. Uh, the concept of game delays, and the current and future state of Xbox. So, uh, we are going to analyze the shit out of Phil Spencer's uh, most interesting comments throughout the interview, and then also share our biggest takeaway. So, Pablo, um, let's go ahead and get started here. Um, You know, me and Pablo decided to sort of break this down by different topics that Phil talked about to kind of organize this a little bit easier for all of you to listeners out there. Um, So we're going to kind of tackle each of these topics and the quotes that he made uh, about them one by one and then discuss those topics one by one. Uh, So that's kind of the gist of it, ladies and gents. So Pablo, uh, please feel free to take it away. What's the first thing on the docket we got to get into? Yeah, so uh, we'll start with Phil Spencer on the ABK deal and uh, the CMA's decision. Uh, And while uh, expressing disappointment after a year of dealing with the CMA, Phil had this to say about their decision to block the deal. Quote, They've def- they defined a market of cloud gaming that in my mind doesn't really exist exist yet today. But they have a point of view that maybe we have a lead in a market that is just forming and that this content could somehow prohibit others from competing in that market, unquote. Uh, Phil later uh, reconfirmed that the ABK deal uh, won't make them or break them, but will act like an accelerant to what they're trying to do with Xbox. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about this last time. Um, I, I don't think there's a mm-hmm. ton to really retread here. Um, I'm going to stand on my square and say I'm still a little disappointed that they are going to continue this appeal process. I think that this would have been a good time to disembark and refocus um, their efforts um, on what current studios they do have right now, all things considered. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, this is the point of view that you brought up last week, um, you know, about the market of cloud gaming that doesn't really exist in its full form today, uh, with all the Mm -hmm. uncertainties there. I still stand by my original opinion that I think that, um, you know, I think that the CMA's perspective, while I don't love it, is valid to a degree in not wanting to gift wrap Microsoft the market if it does become a big market. Um, But I do understand Phil and Xbox's counterpoint that, um, you know, we we don't know what we don't know yet about the industry. So I I don't have a lot to dive into again here, but that is kind of where I stand. What about you? Yeah, I, mean, I I still kind of disagree with you slightly in, in, in that because I just feel like it, the market is what the market is today because nobody else is in the market. Uh, and so I think ultimately for us, 
I'm okay with Xbox uh, appealing because there's certain aspects to that uh, that make sense. Like if you if you went deeper into some of the stuff, and I was hearing I forgot who it was talking about it, saying there's a stipulation on there showing that one of the reasons that they feel that this wouldn't work is because of cloud gaming, sure, but also because Xbox at any time could rise could raise the prices to Game Pass, which makes the accessibility to to those games no longer be a good deal. So if Xbox promises to at that point cover the same price for a couple of years, let's, what I'm saying is there's a lot of stuff in here that can make the CMA kind of revert their decision a little bit, uh, and so or or or, or win the or Xbox to win the appeal. So I think they should try because of the flimsiness of the argument. Now, if there was a a really like head like a real uh, uh, decision made based on some evidence that was irrefutable, I think at that point, Xbox reappealing that would be ridiculous. But the fact that it's kind of flimsy to begin with, I'm okay with them, uh, you know, uh, reappealing this, uh, this decision here. But we'll see what happens. And I have more to say about that on my, uh, on my checkpoint when it comes to it. Okay. Gotcha. What's the next thing we uh, got? So they went ahead, they moved on, and they talked about Phil on Arcane Studios and Redfall. Mm. Phil blames himself for the state of Redfall, and he hates disappointing fans and making them lose confidence in Xbox. Phil called the 30 Frames News a punch in the chin, quote, that's a punch in the mm. chin, and admits that he isn't surprised over Redfall's reception, even though uh, Mock Reviews had the game 10 points higher. Mm. But uh, Phil did have some interesting comments about how he's his team uh, are is going to handle other studios when it comes to creative decisions. He stands by not micromanaging when it comes to pseudo creativity. He stated, "One thing I won't do is push against creative aspirations of our team. I know a lot of people will say, "Hey, you got teams that know how to do one kind of game. Just force them to." to go and do that one kind of game that they have a proven track record for. I'm just not a believer in that. Maybe that means I'll under-deliver for some of our fans out there, unquote. Mm. Uh, yeah, what do you think about this? Because I, I I have some thoughts. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as far as the Redfall aspect of things, um, I think a lot of people have talked a lot about the whole mock review situation and, you know, well, they need to get different mock reviewers. Um, you know, ultimately... I think people have to understand that mock reviews are not always going to be on the money. Um, I think any publisher will tell you that. Any publisher can tell you there was a game that we thought was going to be a banger that got absolutely killed with reviews in reality. That's just part of the industry. So I, I don't... I don't Famously... Go ahead. The Last of Us got bad mock reviews or like middling uh, oh, yeah, uh, mock reviews. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah so, yeah, yeah, I mean comes to the territory man and so that that I, that doesn't bother me so much um i think when it comes to the not micromanaging um listen but on this show for a while talking about the the, the managerial aspects of, of phil spencer um i'm not really going to change my stripes on it now i do appreciate the context that he provided in the interview about his sort of philosophies on this thing but at the end of the day um I think that without really being that stern force, that stern presence that serves as a guidepost for these first party studios, um, I think there's a lot of room for error in not not necessarily micromanaging. I think I think he's using the wrong term there. I would say more of just being more hands on. Um, check yeah. in more often, ask more questions like what you know, there's there's so much more you can do that doesn't mean micromanagement. 
when it comes to studio creativity. Um, when it comes to his comments about, you know, not wanting studios to just make the same game they always make. I love that from a artist's perspective. I really do. And I'm glad that he has some flexibility and he's not overly strict. We're going to pigeonhole all of our studios to make the same game over and over again. I like that. But big picture is you still eventually at some point have to circle back to the genres and the franchises that have made Xbox prominent and give Xbox the best chance to succeed. You can't stay in this artistic ether forever. As awesome as it is to get Pentiment type of games, as awesome as it is to get Hi-Fi Rushes, those ultimately are complementary pieces of the puzzle from a first-party standpoint. You still need the quote-unquote bangers um, at the end of the day, and sometimes those maybe not aren't the sexiest ones to develop for some of these studios. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Xbox cannot sit here and just move at the whim of of artistic creativity. Creatives. That's just yeah. too. That, that's putting a little bit too much control in the developers' hands because they're going to want to make the the coolest, most niche shit in the world and. Eventually, you know, you, you have to check some of the familiar boxes. As much as we all kind of loathe the military first-person shooter or, you know, the sci-fi game with the booms and the explosions, like, unfortunately, that's the industry we're in and that's the stuff that works a lot. So you kind of have to get those right. So that's all the more reason why Halo can't suck, right? So at the end of the day, I get it. I just think that there needs to be a better balance between the creative, the creative freedom versus let's rein it in and let's make the shit we know works because we have to move the needle. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Where are you at? Yeah, I mean, in order for for this to work, Arcane Studios, Bethesda, they have to deliver on the things that made them the the, the reason why Xbox bought them. Right? You know, there's a certain expectation for Arcane Studios and Xbox purchased that whole conglomerate for seven million dollars. You want those studios to make the games in which you fell in love with, which is why you bought the studio. So that get those first. Get get those things right first before you start moving on to the stuff. Obsidian is a is a, is a weird kind of in a, in, a, in a weird position because. They haven't really released about their their Xbox masterpiece, right? They're avowed, right? They haven't done that yet. They'd have Pentiment out. They have Grounded, which is weird. But if Avowed comes out and it isn't good, if, if it's actually actively bad, who cares about Pentiment and Grounded? They didn't really... At that point, you didn't buy Obsidian for the, those two things. So same thing with Arcane. You didn't buy Arcane for Redfall. You bought them for what they've done in the immersive sim space. And the fact that they haven't done that uh, with their first game is is troublesome. So I would feel like, yeah, don't ever pigeonhole creatives to one thing, but definitely make them do the thing you want them to... Have them do the thing that they're good at, first and foremost, before we start getting into the crazy creatives uh, part of it. And in terms of the 10-point higher stuff, I agree with you to an extent, but 10 points is is, <laughs> is a lot. Uh, 10 points is like, did they play this game at all? Like, what what, what was the objective here when they went to do well, this this, let, um, this mock review? Let me sign like, real quick and throw in a, a possible caveat. Where did yeah. they play that? What what platform did they play it? Was it PC? Was it 60 right. frames per second at the time? Like, those are the questions. Sure. Like, sure, so sure, why yeah. was it 10 points higher? Um, yeah. Because I do agree. It's but jarring. Point, it is very jarring. Yeah. 
Yeah, and at that point, Phil would know because Phil's like, yeah, I was surprised. But uh, Phil, I think he would know, well, they're playing it on a 60 frames PC, so they should know that they're getting that review based on 100%. that. So I was a little, a little bit worrisome in terms of like, do they know what's going on? Like, do they... I, uh, do they really have zero eyes on this? The fact that they were surprised that this game came out and it was 10 points lower than what the mock reviewers said it would be. And that is like, I understand my, the way I think of it is like, Phil knows what's going on with the game. Xbox understands. They're very hands off about it because they're so deep into development. They're going to let them do the thing. But how this reads is like, they have no insight in what the hell Redfall was, and they're just shocked to everybody else. That's fucking crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll move well, on that actually that. transitions well uh, into the next part. What do you got here? Yeah. Phil uh, had something to say about delaying games. It's Phil's philosophy about delaying games is not as simple as we thought. Phil takes creative visions into account and said delay would not have improved Redfall. It's, quote, it's maybe a little simplistic to just say if you would have delayed it for three months, the core creator of the game would have delivered on something that was different than than what it was. Unquote. Phil said that the arcane has that the arcane that the arcane. <laughs> oh, am I Russian? Phil said that arcane has Xbox full support and referenced games like Sea of Thieves and Grounded as games that improved over time, and that the public reception, especially when it comes to Sea of Thieves, has changed over time. Um. Okay, what do you think about this? I thought that was super interesting that he would compare Redfall to 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 see it these and changing over time, but then at the same time saying a delay would have changed the core of the game, which is kind of like okay, how how much better is the game going to get if you you admit it yourself that the game isn't very good to begin with? Yeah, I think out of everything Phil said in the interview, this is probably where I had the biggest issue uh, with him. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people would say it's the next thing we'll talk about, you know, as far as more controversial. But for me, it was this because this is what uh, this is what made a lot of the like the delay stuff make more sense. And I think this is probably one of Phil's biggest weaknesses is, again, he leans like we just talked about so much into creative vision and artistry with how he thinks and operates that I think he can lose sight of some of the more binary aspects of a game's completeness, right? Like a game needs to be as done as done can probably get within reason before it can come out. And I get it. This is the era now where games come out at about 90% completeness, you know, when it comes to like That's bugs, true. crashes, nothing really ever comes out, save for mostly like Nintendo games, I think come the closest to it. Um, but I get it's a different time, but at the same time, there's something to be said for being able to play this game and not seeing every fucking texture of this game pop in all the time there's there's something to be said for enemy ai not bumping into each other and looking like a fucking comedy reel or seeing your character's <laughs> arms like start to warp and and like contort out of out of like natural position because you haven't fixed those things yet when you want people to buy into the creative vision of your product don't break the immersion of that vision with bullshit that should have been fixed right so, yeah, maybe the core essence of Redfall was never going to change if it got delayed another three months, but at least it would have been a little bit easier to buy into the experience without constantly having these immersion-breaking issues affect the experience that we're having. So, 
ultimately, I think this is one of the biggest issues I have with Phil, because having that kind of philosophy philosophy of creative vision first, completeness second, is going to be a bad precedent for future games. Because what are you what are you essentially signposting to me then? Are you saying that that's what I have to look forward to for every game that comes out now? Well, if the vision is intact, then the game itself will, it, it'll come together through patches. Well, I don't want to play that yeah. way. I don't want that kind of experience. I would rather the game be done to a point where bugs and issues and quirks like those are at a relative minimum, again, within reason, so that I'm not constantly being distracted by those things and thereby losing enjoyment and interest in your actual game's vision. So yeah. that's where I'm at with it, but where are you at? Yeah, same. I, I, I'm a little this quote more than anything, and made me fearful fearful for um, uh, Starfield. In that, I hope that Starfield the vision is there, and then it comes out, and it's technically messy because we didn't delay it because the vision has been there. I hope that's not the case there. I think that they can't afford any of these kind of messes. I think a lot of this was more or less just Phil kind of protecting his team a little bit and, and, and playing, being a little. Uh, pragmatic about the whole situation and and defending it to a certain extent. I don't really think, I hope it's not the way he goes about it, uh, really, uh, because I mean, that would be, that would be detrimental to the success of so many games going forward, especially being made by these very uh, efficient teams or teams that are, 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 they do such a good job. I already mentioned Obsidian. I already mentioned Bethesda Studios. They, when it comes to the vision, they know what they're doing. It's the technical shit that always gets in the way. So I hope that that's not the case for uh, for uh, future games of Xbox because the vision is there for most of these games, especially if they're sequels, like you know Gear Six or whatever yeah, the case may yeah. be. I, I don't I, I don't want you to, I don't want to release a game that's buggy and messy and, and running at thirty frames because the vision is there. That's insane, really. If you think about yeah, it. Yeah, one thing I forgot to address is the whole like comeback story thing of like Sea of Thieves and Grounded that improve over time. Right. Um, uh, you can't have a lot of those kind of things going on, though, man. Like Halo is still trying to it's climb back, too. like, and, and that's yeah. still not working out, right? So, like, uh, how effective is that really? It's pretty telling when you're citing Sea of Thieves and Grounded, but your own biggest franchise, Halo Infinite, is not a good example of how you can improve games over time, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's nice to say that at some point in the distant future, this game might turn around and be playable and maybe somewhat fun. But how about getting it right early? for a change, you know? Like, what about that? Yeah. Instead of constantly building games out and making people pardon your dust. I mean, it's just I, not fair. I just hope that's not the case. I don't want Arcane to spend the next five, six, seven, eight years fixing yeah, like, a Redfall. I just, yeah, because that, 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 that who wants that? That doesn't fill me... Yeah, it doesn't fill me with any kind of like, oh, finally, well, they'll fix it. Okay, good. That actually kind of upsets me that the Arcane Studios, a studio that I love, that I want to move on from this, is not going to be on this for the next couple of years to fix it. Totally nah, agree. Fuck it, just throw it away. Throw it away. Yeah. Uh, the the interview the interview continued here, and this is Phil on competing with Sony and Nintendo. This one's a got people a little bit. Here heated. we go. Yeah, here we go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Phil stated, "Quote." We are not in the business of out-consoling Sony or out-consoling Nintendo. There isn't really a great solution or win for us. And I know that will upset a ton of people, but the truth of the matter is, when you're third place in the console marketplace and the top two players are as strong as they are and have, in certain cases, a very discreet focus on doing deals and other things, that kind of, make, that kind of makes being Xbox hard for us as a team. That's on us, not on anybody else. End quote. 
He went on to say, quote, I see commentary that if you just build great games, everything would turn around. It's just not true. That if we go off and build great games, suddenly you're going to see console share shift in some dramatic way. We lost the worst generation to lose in the Xbox generation one, uh, the Xbox one generation where everybody built their digital library of games. This idea that if we just focus more on great games on our console, that somehow uh, we're going to win the console race. I think I think doesn't well. I think that doesn't relate to the reality of most people. End quote. And later he said, "quote There is no world where Starfield is an eleven out of ten and people start selling their PS 5s End quote. There's mm-hmm. a lot there mm-hmm. to unpack. Mm-hmm. I mean, reading it out loud here, it sounds you never. I've never heard a head of a video game uh, company just straight out say, "Hey, we're in third place, and that's just the way it's going to be." Um, I-, I have some thoughts on it, but Marco, let me go ahead and 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 get your thoughts on this because um, I have a feeling that we're going to align on this a little. I don't bit. know, man. We'll see. Um, I agreed with every single thing he just said. I agree with all of it. Yeah, me too. I agree with every portion, every teaspoon. And here here's yeah. here's here's the reality of the situation. And this is I'm so amazed at how people can seemingly go out of their way to misinterpret things and and read between lines that are not there. For as honest and as candid as he is in this interview, boy, are people trying to like read into this too much and say, well, why is he saying that great games don't matter? He's not saying that. What he's saying is nope. that it's not enough. And I totally agree with that. It takes more than just having great games to sell consoles. That's not hard to understand. That's reality. That's what PlayStation knows, that's what Nintendo knows, and that's what Xbox knows. You you have to have more than great games. You have to have good marketing. You have to have a good global strategy. You have to have, you know, the right kind of, uh, you know, investment from, you know, if if you work, you know, if you're a division of Microsoft, you have to have Microsoft's full support to really get the kind of funding and and support that you need. There is all kinds, and I'm I'm not going to get into all the things that it takes to have a great console, but having good games is just one of them so for him to say look it's the byproduct of all that yeah i mean it's just yeah exactly and and that's the thing that i think people are really missing here he's 1000 percent right you can have great games you can have the quote-unquote system sellers that i've asked for but even then it takes way more than that to get off the ground um i think people have also taken this as a concession of defeat and it's really not it's not about oh Phil Spencer thinks they're never going to get out of third place because it's it's not about that. I mean, for all intents and purposes, third place is probably where Microsoft will always be. And and that's not a bad thing. We we can't stop acting like we we can't listen, we can't act like being third place is is an L because we've seen the Googles of the world and the Amazons of the world try to get a piece of the pie in the gaming space and they got right the fuck back out or they're on their way out because yep. they can't handle it. For Xbox to be in the, in this space for over 20 years and to have had some moderate to good success during certain runs, it says a lot about them. So third place is not a bad thing. What, what, what Phil is essentially saying is that, look, we have work to do 
and making good games is one of them. But even on our best day, we're never going to make a PlayStation fan stop being a PlayStation fan. We're never just going to make them, oh, you know what? I actually don't need my PS5 anymore because Starfield's here. Yay. That's not realistic. It's totally outlandish. And and even he has to acknowledge that. That's why Xbox's strategy is not just about console gaming anymore. It's why it's about Game Pass now. It's why it's about getting into cloud spaces. It's why it's about focusing on PC now. Their, Their vision has to expand because if they just tunnel vision on console sales then they're really only selling themselves short as far as what, where they can branch off and thrive, right? So ultimately, um, he's right. He, they're not going to out Nintendo Nintendo, and they're not going to out Sony Sony, but they can figure out their own lane by being Xbox. And I think he said something to the effect of, we don't want to be the green version of what the blue team does. I think that's 1,000% right. true. Don't just be this, the, the same thing, but with, you know, Halo, you know, do something unique. And I've, I've never had a problem with Xbox being unique. It's just that I think that, as I've said before, their, their focus seems to be a little distracted at times. And I think that their philosophies about first party games and delays and stuff we talked about can be a little wonky. They're, they're not completely unsalvageable. They have work to do, but they're right in that they have to be real about where they stand against the two juggernauts that are Sony and yep. Nintendo. But Pablo, take it away. Yeah, you got to be realistic about that kind of thing. I mean, even at third place, they've had some record-breaking quarters just last year, I think. So it's, they're, they're doing a lot uh, with what they have. They, they've carved their own space, and they're successful within the, within the measurements in which they, they view success with Game Pass. Like, was it a billion dollars worth of revenue in the subscription services? They, they are... Gain, they are winning th- what they're trying to win in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, man, I, the, I've seen people here take this quote and saying 11 out of t- 11. Uh, this is Phil admitting that uh, um, that um, Starfield isn't going to be an 11 out of 10 game. Like it, it's going to be I, that far. I've seen people go with with with, the, with these quotes. But ultimately, for me, I agree with everything you said. I think you know, in order to make a great game, you need incredible studios, incredible IP, incredible talent. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is, a lot of these studios that. Ex- Xbox has bought has bled some talent. A lot of the studios that they're building haven't been able to completely staff out the way they're supposed to. They're getting help from other places. So Xbox is still playing catch up in many of the things that you need to make a successful game. And so Phil knows that he's not an idiot. So he's not out here saying we guarantee that we're going to beat Sony and Xbox. That's what people want him to say, but that's not how it is. Look, Xbox 360 was an outlier when you look at the facts. Xbox original OG was not a a huge success. It was within third place. Xbox 360 had a one year, one year, um, uh, one year head start on PlayStation 3's disastrous console. And at the end of the life cycle, PS3 still outsold worldwide the Xbox 360. Like, even with the disaster that was the PlayStation 3 and the absolutely everything going right for the xbox 360 playstation 3 still managed to out tell them sure there were available more markets but that's the point the way you win is by being available in the markets in which will buy your games xbox is irrelevant in japan of course sony is so of course nintendo is there's a big chunk of uh, of the equation that xbox just doesn't have and phil admitting that is 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 i've never seen that before but i think it's it's smart because you're what you're doing is you're setting expectations and that's all we 
we can ask for. As 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 anybody in a hobby, you want the person setting that that creates a hobby, the t- the taste makers, the players, to set expectations for what to in fact expect. And the fact that Phil has done that and people are still upset about it just goes to show that all people want is to win their little fake console war, their plastic box to be number one. Even the pundits out there, Xbox community members, are taking this these comments instead of it being ah refreshing. My community in which the leader Phil Spencer is out here being being real. He's being uh, uh, uh he's he's talking about the business in a way that is realistic and yet they're like, no, I can't believe he's saying this. Like, of course they could win. Great games matter. Of course they matter. That's why he spent, that's why he's trying to spend $70 billion on Activision. That's why he spent $7 billion on on uh, Bethesda Zenimax. That's why he's spending money on, on creating a quadruple A studio. Uh, uh, spending so much money on studios because obviously he wants to make games and wants to make great games. So I, I agree with everything you said. I think that this was blown completely out of proportion because people can't fathom, they can't take the fact that the head of the video a video game company has come out and said, hey, we're not going to beat those guys because those guys have been around longer. They have a lot of things going for them. They have a lot of the part of the equation that we don't have. And like to your point, marketing, uh, things of that sort, they have those things down packed and there's nothing that Xbox can do right now. Honestly, it's th- nothing they can do. Their next seven games can be 10 out of 10s. That doesn't, that's not going to stop PlayStation or Nintendo from releasing incredible games themselves. It's just not the way these things work and it's not the way they'll ever work. And so I'm glad that, that Phil said it and that we can uh, hopefully move on from this, but that's never probably going to be the yeah, case. Let me add a quick addendum before we go to the next one. Um, like I said, it's okay to be third place. I think where I would say my if I had any concern is it's okay to be third, but don't act like you're third. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Sure. Like I, I still want you to fight for first place. I still want you to show me a concerted effort. And I'm not saying that they're not going to try. I'm saying that to be honest, Redfall is kind of third place energy to me. You know, like it is, yeah. and you can't have third place energy in third place. I think that's where the issue is for me. If I see you scrapping, if I see you scratching and clawing, like, you know, when they grab Bethesda with the acquisition, I'm like, okay, you know, okay, you know, buying your way out of this is not going to necessarily solve all your problems, but I see you going for something, right? That's what I want to see, right? I want to see the, okay, they went for it with that, you know? Um, Even if it means a little couple more failures sprinkled in, I want to see first place effort, even if it's third place results. That's what I care about. And I hope that they can at least oh. continue to fight like that and not over concede and just go, well, what does it matter? You know, and I think that's what people are afraid of. It's like, oh, they're just kind of waving the white flag already. And they're not. They're just no, saying but- that there's there's a reality to this space that cannot be affected, even with great games. He's not saying that great games don't matter. He's saying it's just not enough. That's the key, guys. So, yeah, Microsoft is a Fortune 500 company, and the way the reason for that because they're incredibly smart business people behind it, and if they feel that Xbox is not viable in any way, shape, or form, they will not be afraid to cut bait on that bitch and just go from it. And that's not what they're doing. All Phil's saying is like, we're gonna do this our own way, and right now, we're not gonna be PlayStation or Nintendo. And out, he didn't say, and it's funny because he didn't say. 
beat them. He said out Nintendo, That's Nintendo, out PlayStation, PlayStation, where he's saying we're not going to do what they do better than they the way they do it. So that in that point, so it's all there. It's all in context. Mm-hmm. So we have to really we have to really hear what he's saying here to to, to really make our, our our thoughts and be a little bit more uh, you know in case thoughtful about these things because you just can't make shit yeah. up. Like you just can't be like oh Starfield is an 11 out of 10. Well, people, that means Starfield is going to be terrible. What? I literally saw someone say uh, that. Gamer li- uh, well, I mean, hey, like, look, wh- you, know, you know what I said about indexing what people say on Twitter is a big deal. Like, it's just it, people are people hear yeah. things with their emotions and they don't know how to process things, especially the gaming community. I, I ain't here for it. Yeah. Uh, let's keep going, though. What, yeah. What's the next thing we got to talk about? Yeah, so, and then Phil was talking, this is an interesting one, I thought this was like, what the fuck? Phil on his job security at Xbox, Phil discussed the backlash uh, he's received on social media, stating, quote, there's a lot of Twitter firing at Phil right now, which is fine, I'm way overpaid for the role I have anyway, so like, I get that's my responsibility, but we will remain committed to the game and players as long as the players want to play games, unquote. Um, yeah, Mark, what do you think about that quote? Listen, um... Again, I think this is another case of people reading into it too much. I mean, God forbid the guy makes a sarcastic joke. Oh, my God. Kill him. That's what I'm saying, though. I, I thought it was interesting, the fact that he was like, <sighs> I'm overpaid for this. Like, we, we know. Everybody, everybody yeah, in this everybody business in, in that position. Yeah. Like, yeah. He knows. He's, he's in yeah, on that. Yeah. Again, it's just people reading into shit too much. Um, you know, I, I've been critical of Phil, um, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to critique his sense of fucking humor right now. I'm not doing that. Now, I will say this, though. Let, let's, let's take the possibility of job security and let's, let's say that's tangible, right? Is there a job security risk for Phil Spencer? I think, I think that there's, a, there's a job security risk for anybody that's leading a, yeah. a, a division as important as Xbox is, right? You have to ultimately meet your deliverables. You have to meet expectations, or as with any job, you put yourself at risk. So I do think there's a risk there. Um, what I will say is, and I've said this about previous Phil Spencer interviews, I'm going to say it again. Phil Spencer does these interviews, yes, but he's not just talking to us gamers. He's talking to people on the inside, too. He's talking to people that are on the internal Xbox division team. He's talking to first-party studios. He knows they are all watching this interview just as much as the gamers are. And so I think what Phil is, is really doing, if we want to you know, put tinfoil hats on or get conspiracy theory-like read between the lines, here's what I'll say. I think he's... He's self-deprecating in a way to kind of show his internal teams and studios, hey, I'm kind of tired of falling on swords for you guys. So I'm going to make this little sarcastic joke about, you know, well, I guess I'm overpaid. I guess I, you know, I don't know. I think he made another joke at some point in the interview. Well, somebody else might be sitting in my seat at, you know, this time next year. Who knows? I, I think he's saying in so many words, like, look, you know, I'm, I can't keep on taking these bullets for you and, 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 and last forever. Yeah. So... And that money thing was a perfect thing because he, he followed that up with, yeah, like I'm all overpaid for this. So I guess it's, he literally says, so like I get that it's my responsibility saying my responsibility to take these these bullets and, yeah. and follow these swords. Yeah, I'm getting paid to be the head of Look, this. Uh, just, just, just Gordon had a go – no, I was going to say it's like – it's like you know when 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 sports teams fire their coach when you know the coach really isn't the problem yeah. but he has to be the first domino yeah. to fall you know it's that it's that yeah, kind yeah. of energy to me at that point it really is yeah and Jez uh, Jez Corden had a very uh, interesting article stating that you know when you look at Phil's job Phil is very much the head of Xbox but he is the the top 
when it comes to Xbox. He has other people like Matt Booty, I think, who overlooked that. Yeah, Sarah Bond, who overlooked the games, and especially Matt Booty, I think, is the one that looks over the games and stuff right. like that. I think it's Matt Booty, if I'm not mistaken. But so Phil talking about how I am looking into this, how I am looking at this, it doesn't necessarily fit, mean that Phil's in there like with the controller in his hand. He just means he's overlooking he the, the the process, the people under him. And when he talks about how it's my fault, how's this, he is talking about his team. His, his team in terms of like when he's falling on the sword, he's talking about, hey, we dropped the ball here, we dropped the ball here. Phil isn't out here test running, QAing all these damn games. No. You know, that's not his no. job. He's the head of, he's the very top when it comes to Xbox. So when he talks about we, he, me, he's talking about his team. Uh, and so he's doing what leaders do. Leaders eat last and they take and they take a lot of the, the hits for, for their team. That's what he's doing here. But his team knows that when he says me, that he means them. Right. So, yeah. you know, that, that that's definitely. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, look, yeah. if I'm Phil, I'm also saying, you know what, you, hey, you guys like all this creative freedom I give you? You like all this autonomy you get? You like that? Well, you know, if you keep ma- you like if you keep making me look bad, and I get up out of here, and you get somebody else in this seat, and let's say Satya Nadella wants a, another Jim Ryan because he likes what PlayStation's doing, all this shit that you get with, with me is going to be gone. So how about maybe yeah. not make me look so bad? How about maybe not put us as a brand and me in this position look like this so that I'm not the first guy that they come for so that you can actually work with a leader that you actually like in me. I'm assuming a lot of them like Phil. Um, you know, I mean, part sure. of why Bethesda wanted to go to Xbox was because they liked the way, well, it's of Phil. right. They liked Phil and they liked the way Xbox runs things. Don't lose yeah. me because you guys make these bullshit ass games, like do some things right. And you know, we'll all benefit from it. I think that's really what he's saying here. So I think they just, people read into it too much, took it again as another, like I heard the word exit interview thrown around. I, I don't know if I like that. I respectfully disagree with that sentiment. I think that is, that's fucking, that's mainly, that's, that's mainly just that's people just, you know, I think taking, taking the theme of this interview the wrong way as like this admission of defeat and the waving of a white flag when it, it's really not. I think it's just being real about what is and what was. Um, and this, yeah. this aspect of the interview is no different in my opinion, but let's move on yeah, to the next thing. Well, I mean, you brought him up, uh, you know, Bethesda. So Phil talked a little bit about Starfield. Uh, when asked specifically about Starfield, Phil did say that they have been more hands-on with uh, when compared to Redfall. Quote, we, did, we didn't do a good job early on in engaging with Arcane Austin to really help them understand what it meant to be part of Xbox. Unquote. Spencer felt that they could have used more internal resources to aid with the development of the game while still not taking away from the creative leniency afforded to the studio. Quote, we did a better job with Starfield. Again, nobody should believe it until they're playing the game. But the game was earlier in production, and it was easier for us. Unquote. Mark, that's what I mentioned earlier, where you know about they said that this game was earlier in production. So, again, Phil did caveat saying that don't believe me, don't believe me, just watch. He, that's what okay. apparently he sunk himself. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, you know. I, how do you feel about this? Do, uh, again, he did say, don't believe me until the game's out, but do you feel confident, or is this just kind of him bolstering a little bit about, yeah, yeah, no, 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 we're, we're definitely have our hands on uh, now, or, I mean, or, or, or were they really that involved? I wonder. Well, there's two things that I took from this. Number one, let me just say as a small thing, um, if, if they didn't do a good job early on in helping Arcane Austin understand what it meant to be part of Xbox, then I would say the quote-unquote onboarding aspect of acquisitions needs to be a better process. 
um, if there's yep. that much of a gap in understanding what it means to be part of Xbox to the point where it results in a redfall, then yeah, something probably needs to change with that kind of process for sure. Um, as far as Starfield goes, and, and this will kind of lead into the last thing we'll talk about, um, I'm a body language guy. When I, when, I, when I watched this interview, I actually watched it twice. I watched it once to kind of hear his answers, and then I watched it again to kind of look at his body language throughout the entire thing. Every time he talked about Starfield, it felt like he was more at ease. He felt a little bit, he looked yeah. a little bit more relieved, like he looked a little bit more self-assured when he talked about Starfield, even when he talked about other stuff, which we'll get into in a second. But particularly with Starfield, I think there's a feeling that I get from his body language where I think he knows, okay, we, we're, it, we're not going to have a 60 rated Starfield. That's not going to happen like it did with Redfall. Right. I think he knows that's going to be a different outcome. Um the only issue that I have, and I've, I've, we've heard about this a lot with Xbox games, is that they use internal resources to aid other internal resources. I'm kind of tired of that in some way. Like I, I, I hate that the coalition has to keep being this like support studio when they're trying to yeah. fucking make their own games. You know, like oh, we had the coalition help with Unreal, and you know, we gave them the. It's like, oh my God, you have to make sure that these studios are kind of competent on their own. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen with PlayStation or Nintendo. I'm sure they all kind of help each other out and it's very harmonious like that. But I think that the fact that it's it seems so common with Xbox with like their biggest games, like always need more hands on deck. Like this is this is what happened with Halo Infinite. You know, yep. when they changed engines or whatever the fuck happened and then the coalition had to help them out too. Like... How do they get, how does Phil get these studios to develop games and basically be able to stand on their own while doing so? Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting nut to crack for them moving forward. Um, but where it, are you at with this? And it, yeah, it makes you think because recently uh, they announced that the coalition had canceled their non Gears game. I wonder if that's because they were so busy helping other studios. You know, I mean, that, that, that's that's a possibility because they got to make that's Gears very 6 true. eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way I, 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 I agree with you, man, uh, there was a question asked by one of the guys from Kind of Funny that he asked, hey, are we going to have a clear insight on whether the game is going to run on 30 or 60 early on? And Phil, without a drop of said yes. Like, he was ready for that question. He was super at ease i think he knows exactly what we're gonna get when it comes to starfield i think he sees the vision i think he i think technically the game seems to be at a better place at the very least he didn't outright go on full like uh trying to protect the starfield or, or bethesda or even talk about starfield in a way that felt like oh um you know those guys over there do a good job like kind of bolster the resume of, of bethesda studios he was very matter of fact about starfield like he, he again like you said, he felt very at ease. It felt like, hopefully, and this is just kind of reading off of everything he said, and like you said, body language, hopefully that the game comes out and, 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 it, and it's going to be fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to believe them. You know, they're in a position right now where they can't read 
they can't be uh, not lying, but they can't be stretching the truth. I think when he says that they're more involved, I really believe they're more involved. I mean, Starfield, I, I would I would even guess that that's probably one of the reasons why Starfield is delayed as much as it's delayed because Xbox had more hands on it, at least they're helping out more. And so they went in there and they saw, hey, maybe this is a little bit more time. So, you know, as long as Starfield comes out and it's, it's as good as we need it to be, uh, I think that we'll be okay. Now, I will say, though, it kind of tie it back to job security is Starfield is an utter disaster you know that's when we can start talking about Phil and him being on the hot seat because now that's two games from their seven million dollar investment that that have not panned out yeah so yeah all right well let's round it out with the last tidbit here from the interview uh what do you got yeah, so Phil talked about uh, Xbox Summer Showcases and went a little bit beyond that uh, in terms of what's down the pike. Phil did touch on the subject of the 12-month promise of last year's showcase and called it a failure mm. to the point. To that point, Phil said, quote, the transparency just has to get better, unquote, and continued saying, quote, it drives me crazy, crazy <laughs> when we self-inflict wounds of putting things out there and communicate uh, communication that's confusing or misleading about what the actual end product is going mm. to be, unquote. The conversation then shifted to the June 11th showcase, uh, and it wasn't all doom and gloom for Phil. He did seem genuinely excited for the future of Xbox, quote, we're going to announce some things that people haven't seen, some new games, uh, end quote. Phil added, quote, we've got games coming every quarter that I think will surprise and delight our customers, uh, end quote. XCast crew then asked Phil about how some in the Xbox community are getting tired of the, quote, unquote, wait till next year promises that seemingly never come to fruition, to which Phil responded, all I can do is say, all I can do is say I'm going to do better tomorrow than I did yesterday and continue to support the team and continue to grow, uh, unquote. But also cap that part of the interview off with, quote, but until you have a controller in your hand and you're smiling from playing our games, none of my words should matter, end quote. I thought that was a big way to end that because basically everybody would hearing him talk saying, we heard this before, but he's telling you, what I'm telling you right now don't mean shit. Absolutely nothing. I'm saying it because I believe it, but it has no currency. It doesn't mean anything until you guys have those controls in your hands uh, and are in, you know playing those games. I think that's big. I think you know, you're putting the onus on the software. You're not talking corporate too much about uh, the promises of something that may not be what we think it is. So the fact that he put it on the games himself is awesome. Uh, he says a game every quarter. That's 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 interesting, Marco. Um, that that that's a lot of games. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of big games that they have. Uh, I wonder how that's going to pan out. What do you think? Well, you're right in that. You know, when it comes to Phil, he understands now that seeing is not believing anymore. Um, playing is believing, right? Um, because they can yep. tell you all the right things, and that used to be enough. They can show you all the right things, and that used to be enough. But now, we're at a point now where until the game is in our hands, and it's of a certain quality that we want, or beyond, then talk is cheap, and showing me stuff is cheap. And, and they backed themselves yep. into that corner by saying all the right things, not doing them, and also having presentations that just don't live up to standards and, or you know, just kind of um, 
end up being obsolete from a standpoint of the 12 month promise. Right. So I'm glad that he has recognized the self-inflicted wounds, um, that has happened with, uh, their communication to the community. Um, much like I said in the last bit about Starfield, I think when you, you, you watched his body language about the future of Xbox and their first party content, he seemed to me more at ease, more relieved, um, that, which made me feel, it was it was kind of interesting because I think that was the part of the interview where I mentally called off the hounds, you know. Because if y'all yeah, listen yeah, to the yeah, show, yeah. I've I've gone at Phil's neck, and and I'm probably <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if as people are listening to this this episode that they're probably wondering, man, I thought maybe Marco was going to be a little bit more aggressive than this, but I think it was around this point where I'm like, okay, you know, what was was what is is, but. Phil seems to feel like, okay, I know what we have next, and I feel like those games can deliver. I know they're saying that doesn't mean shit now, but I feel like when these gamers play it, when they play the next Hellblade, when they play the next Forza, when they play the next, uh, or the first Starfield, um, they'll feel what I'm feeling right now, knowing what I know. And that's what made me go, okay, all right, I'm cool on continuously roasting Xbox now. I think I've got that all out of my system. I think at this point in the interview, I'm like, you know what? Phil has said everything that I hoped he would say in as honest of a way as he could say it. And if he thinks that with as bad as it is now that the future still looks promising for their first party games that are coming out next, let me see what he can do. Let me see what they can do, right? So I'm going to sit here now and say, all right, Let's see it happen. All right. I'll see you in September, Phil. I'll see you in September. I'll see you for Starfield. And let's see if that good feeling that you had feels good to me. Um, but he's right. At the end of the day, we got to play those games, man. We got to play them first before we, we believe in yeah. them. Um, that's just what it is. Yep. What about you? Uh, I mean, I said my piece here on top. I, I think uh, I agree. I think that it, that was very uh, telling. You know, hey, if the games are going to talk for themselves. And the fact that amongst all this, knowing that if these games are a disaster, people can go back to, the, to this interview and be like, but Phil, you said you were happy about this. Yep. You know, the fact that he was confident enough, even though he was being cautious throughout the interview in terms of what he was saying, I think goes, goes to show that he at least believes that the games coming down the pike are going to be good ones. And if the head of Xbox thinks that that's the case, they are overpaying him for that, uh, so I, I'm going to go ahead and trust him at least, uh, at least uh, up front. And you know, if, if it turns out that these games are not good, if Xbox turns out that Xbox Series X is their demise, then you know that's that's they they that's the place they put themselves in, and they were unable to get themselves out of it. Right. So that's on them. So as an Xbox fan, I'm going to choose to believe that they're going to get out of this uh, uh, the the this p- position they're in, and I feel like you know. All, all, uh, when it all comes to an end with this generation, that we're gonna look back at Xbox Series X and be like, you know what, it started rough, but they they got it together because mm-hmm. that's that has to happen. That's the only option here, and I hope that that's what happens. Yeah. All right. Well, before we move on, Pablo, we have two quick questions I, w- I want us to talk about before we get to the checkpoint. Um, 
Number one, I think we kind of talked about this organically throughout our conversation, but let's discuss real quick the community's reaction towards the interview. I think the question of are they overreacting is a yes, I would say, on both on both fronts for us. Yeah. But to what extent do you think that this uh, overreaction has been, and, and how detrimental do you think that has been in the aftermath of this interview, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I don't listen. Twitter, specifically those social media, there's such a small part of the actual community that sometimes because we're on it, it feels like the whole world is screaming these things. Uh, but I think that the overreaction is is in, the overreaction is in, it's it's a lot because you got the Sony fanboys, you know, dancing on Xbox's grave. You got the the pessimistic Xbox people saying, "Man, Xbox just admitted it's all over and it's done." Like there's there's no nuance to any of it. It's all like it's over or Xbox Extremes, or they yeah. got people like us who yep. are a little more yeah, and a little more positive about it. You know, like like oh, you guys are so uh, gullible or or so you know believing holding on to Phil's words. Like that's because all we got at this point. You know, I mean, I choose to believe that they're gonna do a better job because he said. So, and I'm not going to read into to, to the interview and, and 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 extrapolate things that weren't said. He was pretty candid, and and so yeah, the overreaction to this is is absolutely absurd in so many ways, just like it always is. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's going to be. Uh, there's no long run ramifications, in my opinion, to, to the overall community. I think that no matter what Xbox does, PlayStation's fanboys are always going to see it that they're losing. No matter what, and no matter what, Xbox community people are going to see that Xbox is winning, regardless of of, of what's happening. Yeah, you know, beauty's so. in the eye of the beholder at the end of the day, and and that's yeah, a, yeah. what I think it all kind of distills down to. It does amaze me how reductive people have been about the interview. For as extensive oh as he was, for as detailed as he was, it's amazing how a lot of the takeaways and analysis can be so almost annoyingly rudimentary um, and dismissive. Um, you know, when we get to those like gross assumptions of, you know, he doesn't yeah. care about first party games. He's saying it doesn't matter. Like it, misquoting and misunderstanding go hand in hand, man. Like you guys got to pay better attention to these interviews and you got to really follow the words that he's saying like stop subtracting shit that he said to make a point that doesn't exist you gotta cut that out man yeah but i i think a, i think a lot of people know what he said but they're still extrapolating and still making these assumptions based on a narrative that they right. want to push they're wedging it and into their own that, little agenda anyway yeah yeah and that's and that's trash. that's why cooldown is a the cooldown time is a podcast you should subscribe to if you haven't already because we are a fanboy free <laughs> show uh, that drops episodes every week. No, just kidding. Um, well, we do, but I'm just kidding about, like, you know, whatever. Fuck you. We don't drop weekly Shut shows? Shut up in your face. What have I been doing? Did this interview, Pablo, leave us feeling better, worse, or indifferent about Xbox? And real quick, tell me why. I don't know, man. Um, I'm going to say slightly better. Um, I, 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 I feel that Phil is... Uh, on the right track. I think he's saying the right things. Obviously, is this stuff we heard before? Uh, it's in a dire place. Uh, so their backs against the wall. So it could be Phil saying whatever he needs to say in order to, to keep us, you know, you know, still believing in the product. But I'm going to go ahead and choose to feel a little better about the overall uh, kind of uh, where Xbox is going and where it's headed in the next couple of quarters. How about you? Yeah, same. I, I And that's probably going to surprise some people, but I am feeling better about Xbox. I do think that um, Phil's feeling about the future um, felt right to me. It felt it felt good. Um, and I'm willing to leave the past in the past now. I personally am. I'm not the one that's going to hold receipts forever. 
Um, it's okay to fail as long as you fail successfully, as long as you put your best foot forward based on your learnings from your failures. I think you can go places even if you're third place. You can be the best third place you can possibly be, and that that doesn't have to be a concession or a joke. Um, they have work to do. They have to change some some principles, some philosophies, and some processes to get there. But it can be done. I think from here on, it's going to be a matter of Xbox doing a great job of communicating to gamers. It's going to come down to Xbox delivering solid experiences to great experiences that keep people interested and engaged with their ecosystem, and um, and just being you know a consistently open and yeah. and. Um, you know, likable brand. I think that's one thing they do have going for them is they feel the most human out of the the big three. And I think if they can retain that and develop better momentum and better success, they can they can certainly carve out a, a lane of their own in this very busy and very nauseating console uh, space uh, that we're in right now. So it's not impossible. Yeah. And I agree with you about the human side of it. Xbox feels like the most human. Nintendo feels like you go to Nintendo headquarters in Japan and you go up to like the the, the hundredth floor and kiosk. it's just Miyamoto and a cat. <laughs> it's Miyamoto and a cat. Like it just feels like it doesn't feel like real at all. Uh, um, yeah, and I will say, and I think Marco shared this with me as well, but I felt the same way. Is last week I went from maybe I'll sell my Xbox to. I'm not going to sell my Xbox this week. So I guess it, for me, uh, that th- um, that's gotten a little better hmm. for me at least because I, I if it feels uh, confident about the future uh, outside of Starfield, I would like to be I would like to be able to to, to, to experience those games. Um, though we'll see. I think Starfield is, will will uh, ultimately solidify or change right, my mind right. on that for sure. Yeah, but, I think yeah. you know. Look, my my you know, it's funny he was talking about. The last gen being the worst gen to lose because people build out their digital libraries. You know, look, mine is predominantly PlayStation now, with very few exceptions. And I don't think there's a future where that swings back to Xbox again. Um, but, you know, as far as whether I would keep the console or sell the console, you know, first off, I... I don't. I don't want to be tacky like a lot of people do. Or like and they announce that they've like canceled their Game Pass subscription. Or I'm announcing I'm not going to have an Xbox. But I mean, we are. We do. We do a podcast, so it is a factor. What I'll say is that Starfield has to hit um, for that for the the notion of selling the Xbox to to not be like very real to me. Um, and I, I don't expect perfection out of Starfield, but I do expect a level of quality based on the fumbles and based on the lessons learned. Um, that I hope will inform me that keeping the Xbox, even as a secondary option to PlayStation, uh, is still good and still has its benefits. Um, that's 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 my Next. ultimate hope yeah. as far as being like grounded and realistic goes. Um, but yeah, um, very good conversation, bro. Uh, but we do need to get to the main event of the show. Believe it or not, that wasn't the main event. Uh, the main event is the checkpoint chat, which starts right now. <laughs> It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, so get, to get the last of the, you know, what to do with Xbox stuff out of our collective system here at Cooldown Time, uh, we decided to dedicate this last topic to the three things we would do to fix Xbox. Okay, so me and Pablo picked three different things that we think would be a great uh, path forward for Xbox to kind of right the ship and get things back on track. Um, These things we chose are in no way all that Xbox necessarily has to do, but we consider these to be of a certain level of importance and priority uh, for sure. Uh, So Pablo, why don't we go round robin here um, and you tell me what your uh, first thing is that you would do to fix Xbox if you could. 
before I do that, I, w- I would say in order for people to understand my three, I want to kind of paint the picture okay. here. I want Phil mm. to become Jim Ryan. No, Vince oh, okay. McMahon. <laughs> but not the shitty, not the shitty human rapey part no, 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 of we Vince don't want McMahon. That. No, no, no. But, but the, the, the Vince McMahon that the WWE in his heyday that had his hands in everything kind of Vince McMahon that still, that said still nothing. sounds sexual though depending on god damn it yes it does yeah but let me go with my number one here um, I, I had to address the ABK portion of it and I would yeah. say go absolutely radio silent on ABK deal no press release no social media posts no interview nothing until it all goes away I think that this has dominated the news cycle way too often I think that it, the perception we get whether it's real or not is that Xbox is distracted I think that's all done because that's all they're fucking talking about uh, they're rarely tweeting and talking about games or just talking about abk what we believe this that you know we don't need to know the ins and out of this because what happens is is just a lot of people pick these things up they don't quite understand what they're talking about but they have opinions and these opinions then become are passed off as facts and then people are out there spewing these opinionated facts about how this works they don't know how this fuck this works they, they though know how this works they had no idea we don't know how it works. that they're going to get blocked yeah they, they but i'm saying the lawyers had no idea they're going to go after yeah. the cloud streaming part of it like there's so much nuances there's so much shit going on here for them they can't open themselves up to it completely be silent pretend it's not even going on and and, and that's that that would be my number one for, i love for that one I, I think that's a great one because yeah. they need to kind of shift the attention back to the positives and not to the things that are still yeah. up in the air and looming uh and that's a great way to do that so i i hope that they actually take take you up on that uh philip spencer the third if you are the third um okay. McMahon. um Number one for me would be, uh, and this should sound familiar to what I said earlier, establish a clear-cut delay protocol based on completeness rather than artistic vision. This is a huge one. Uh, for what I said earlier, uh, just to reiterate briefly, you know, artistic vision is great, but ultimately your game has to, to feel competent and playable in order for people to stick around. It just does. You can't have immersion breaking or even uh, system crashing issues with your game that continuously detracts from and distracts from the experience that you believe in creatively. Um, ultimately, that's going to do any game in, no matter how neat the concept is. It still has to function well as a product, um, because you know we can get lost in the Game Pass sauce and say, "Well, you know, it's part of Game Pass." But people that don't have Game Pass want to buy games a la carte. You don't want to spend seventy fucking dollars on Redfall right now, right? <laughs> oh that's, that sounds like that sounds bananas, right? So rather than than run into that, just make sure the games are as complete as realistically possible. Again, get it to that ninety percent if you have to, whatever that is, you know, whatever that that metric of completion is. But figure out what that needs to be. Um, I understand every game is a case by case basis. Not every game is trying to be as big as Starfield. Um, but at the same time, there has to be some kind of through line or bottom line with how delays are handled. Um, because ultimately, Thanks. a lot of times studios are not necessarily fully honest 
with the Phil Spencers of the world because they don't want to like upset Phil Spencer or they don't want to upset a Jim Ryan by breaking bad news. So a lot of time we've seen it in the corporate world and what we do for a living. You you know the ass kissing types of people where you know yeah oh no no mm-hmm. we got this man don't worry we got it's gonna be great you, don't worry man we're gonna we're not gonna let you down Phil and then Redfall happens. So I think there just needs to be more protocol um, to avoid as much of this as humanly possible in the future. Marco, and I agree, and I think in order for them to do that, it would have to fall under my number two. No more studio autonomy. Phil and his team have to be more involved. I get it. I know it sounds weird for creative types. Yeah, I know that's why Bethesda signed on with, with Microsoft because the, the, the ability of them having free reign still and acting independently, they've shown, or at least early on, that that's probably not going to be something that's sustainable. They can't be out here making pieces of shit games like like like, Red, like Redfall. They can't have Arcane running loose doing whatever the hell they want they have to be involved in every aspect and i'm not talking about forever i'm talking about in order to get them back on track you know if you gotta force arcane and if i know i hate saying it but you gotta force arcane to go back to the roots now i'm not saying do dishonored 3 i'm not saying do prey 2 but do something along those lines even if it is a new ip even if you want to kind of still feel like you're doing something new then do that but they have to do something that they've been proven in and they have to do it right. And I think that having all these studios, so many studios they have, being autonomous and having creative meetings and and, and making games based on how they feel, that's all fine and dandy. But Xbox, Phil has said it, what it means to be Xbox, they can't know that unless they're involved and that's it. They have to be in it. And again, I want to preface by saying this. I'm not saying always. Like you can trust Obsidian, you can trust no doubt. them down the line, yeah. but you you got to get that that map that 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 you know the timeline correct, and you got to get it going by doing that. Uh, no studio autonomy, none of yeah. that. I agree, and you got to also be careful with the like. You have to think about the portfolio of Xbox too. You know, like what may what. Yeah. What helps Xbox flourish? What kind of concept, what kind of game makes Xbox flourish? I think Hi-Fi Rush can achieve that. I think Pentiment can achieve that, but only to a certain extent as a way to, again, complement the pieces that are the bigger pieces and the more important pieces, not necessarily define Xbox. So that's why autonomy is also important because, again, you can't get so... Uh, poetic and pretentious with what you want to do that it just doesn't resonate with anybody or it doesn't it's not geared towards an audience that Xbox doesn't even fucking have you know what I mean like that stuff is important too you got to know who you're selling to so you have to know what makes Xbox games Xbox games and I I totally agree with you that autonomy is a big part of that um this next one is going to be a little controversial um but I want to say it because I think this is a great future forward move more so than a here and now thing. I think they need to do a better job of canceling any troubled projects that have not shown meaningful progress uh, over a span of years and refocus those studios, right? One of the things that um, one of them from XCast did, I I don't remember which one of them brought up that short list. Um, That's going to bug me, but it was like he he brought up a short list of like Everwild, Fable, and Contraband, and all these other games that, you know, get announced a long time ago, and we never really hear from them. Uh, hear from them again. Perfect Dark is another example. I think that Xbox has to get out of that pattern um, and really be able to call a spade a spade if cer- if certain projects are just not coming together. If State of Decay Three yep. is is in development hell layer five, 
right, then it's time to reevaluate the viability of seeing that project through to completion. And unfortunately, yes, that would be a not so fun headline for Xbox, but it sure as hell beats sitting in this four or five year um, waiting game of I wonder if we're going to see it at the next Xbox event, you know, like just make a move, make a decision and move forward. And, and this kind of this ladders back to the autonomy thing, because I think some of these projects wouldn't have been green lit had there been more involvement with Xbox to say, yeah, but what is Everwild, though? Oh, we don't know yet. Well, then should we do it would be the next question. And I feel like that that conversation doesn't feel like it actually happened. So this feels like a good thing to kind of think about in the future to know when to pull the plug when it's time to pull the fucking plug. So that's my number two. It looks like like Fallout needed one of those fresh cancels uh, to. Oh, God. You know, all the way. I know that would have been a bad headline, but I mean, ultimately, if it would have spared us from this conversation in terms of Redfall, I think it would it would have gone a long way because then all we had to look forward to is Starfield now from exactly that, from Bethesda. But so my next one goes hand in hand with all this, and this is pause on creative risk for the foreseeable future. Stop trying to find the next great indie and make sure your AAA first parties are delivering. Hi-Fi Rush is an outlier. That could have been a disaster, but it was, it wasn't, it's absolutely phenomenal, I love it, but it is an outlier. Uh, Pentiment, grounded, they didn't move the needle, I, I, those, Pentiment was great, reviewed well, nobody went out and bought an Xbox, or, 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 or subscribed to Game Pass, I don't think, to go play Pentiment, it's just not, though, that kind of game, and then when you look at the other games that they've had, you know, that, that, that they've bolstered in, in this, in, in Game Pass, 12 minutes not being good. A uh, Ravenlock just came out not being reviewed well. Um, what's the other game that came out Benedict. by Jump Ship Studios? Benedict, Somerville. Like, all these indie games are not doing well. And if you don't have the component of the AAA to kind of fill in that library, all you're really releasing is shitty indie game <laughs> titles, which is, is, is a bad look. And I, that's why I say I think every creative and every development team should take creative risk. That's what makes great games. That's what makes great IP. You know, that's what makes you different from other people. But in this case alone, when we're talking about getting Xbox back on track, I think that they need to focus on what makes them sell consoles, on what's going to move the needle when it comes to Game Pass, what's going to move the needle of them being successful in an industry that is very competitive and the way you do that right now is simply just putting a pause on any creative risks from like i don't want i don't want the coalition the coalition making something completely out of left field from 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 uh gears just because they want to do like i get it but also we need gear six they need you you know you you deliver with five but we need they Xbox needs Gear Six. That's not even an under. Uh, that is that is an understatement, if any. I, right now, with the failure of Halo, Gears is 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 up next in terms of uh, what it needs to do for the for Xbox. So yeah, pause on creative risk for the foreseeable future. Once you get back on track, you can let you can let all these studios rotate and make the next great indie if they want to, or the next great thing out of left field, and invest in indies at that point. But as it stands right now, come on, let's get that AAA first party delivering. It has to work yeah. uh, in order for Xbox to, to, to survive. Yeah, I agree. I think the only way you can really be able to have more flexibility is if you've shown that you can walk and chew gum. Like, you know, if, right. if I'm if I'm Xbox, okay, I'll look at Obsidian and go, okay, Pentiment's fine. 
because yeah. I know you, Obsidian, sure. you you are our insomniac. You can you can put games out at a decent clip and they come out well, pretty good. Um, even if Pentiment doesn't move well, the we needle. We haven't though. seen a vowed. Yeah, we haven't seen a vowed right. yet. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, yeah. ideally that that comes out sooner than later. Um, so maybe there, you're right that there's a little yeah. bit of a contingent on that for right now. But you know, I, I guess what I'm yeah. saying is that a studio can can earn that ability you, but that's yeah. the thing you have to no, earn it sure. through seeing okay you can actually do what we need you to do so now we're okay with you making xyz on the side whereas i think right, right now right. it's just a free-for-all for everybody where every studio really hasn't shown their chops well enough to do that yet um so that's hopefully right. that'll change yeah i agree could you imagine the state of things if avowed is garbage and they're like but Pentiment was good <laughs> give a fuck um, my third and final fix for Xbox is cut the MSRP of the Series X and S by 50 bucks and give three months of Game Pass with every unit. Um, sorry, but, you know, the Xbox isn't worth the money at, at the moment. The hardware sales are down 30%. You got to do something. And I think the weird thing to do is say, well, that sucks. We're going to leave the price exactly the same. Hope you change your mind. You know, like, I, I think that's a little wonky to me. Um, I know that we're in an age now where, you know, pricing for consoles tends to get more expensive and less expensive. Um, but yeah. I also think that if you want more people to buy your console, you're going to have to kind of get out of your comfort zone to incentivize them to do that. And if you don't quite yet have the games to do it, then maybe you'll have the price to do it. And that's where I think Xbox can certainly, um, you know, provide some sort of budgetary advantage that may attract the parent that's buying their kid a new console or something to that effect. Um, this is especially valuable for the series S, which I think, I wish we had talked about that more th throughout our conversation about Xbox because I think that's been more of a sticking point than people w maybe want to admit when it comes to what, you know yeah. making games that work on Series S. But as far as this well, context, it's goes, funny you mentioned that. It's funny you mentioned that because I was literally going to ask you: Was there any spicy kind of fix that we didn't put on? Because mine was make Xbox Series X exclusive games, but I don't know if that it's not gonna go over well in terms of like what yeah. they're trying to do. You're excluding a whole group of people yeah. when you cause I was like, man, because I know uh, the only that I could really kind of think of it is like the the uh, Nintendo did it with the 3DS when they had the 3DS Plus or the Super 3DS where they had exclusive games on that uh, on that console. And there was a huge mm -hmm. uh, outcry about that kind of stuff. But you know, I I, I I tend to believe, at least in my understanding, of some of these games suffer because they have to run on both, mm -hmm. you know? And so if you make an Xbox Series X exclusive game, um, that'd be good. Or delay the Series S version. Exactly. Hey, Xbox Series S coming out and delay that, maybe. But well, nah. Yeah, I mean... It, no way to say that. Yeah, more. yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the price to me is is one aspect of it to at least get people in the door. It's not going to solve all the problems in terms of like, well, we want to play games that are not just like multi-platform stuff or like Pentiment, because let's face it, Pentiment is not exactly for the masses at all. That shit is dry. Um, I like it, but it's man. dry. And even as a person who likes those kind drier of drier than a I, I, <laughs> drier than a KFC it was biscuit. A lot to get um, 
Woo, that's yeah. bad. Uh, but no, I think this would be a huge help. The three free months of Game Pass, I think, is a goodwill gesture that I think that would be great to see them do. Um, just to kind of invite people into the ecosystem, uh, get them comfortable, get them acquainted, and make them feel an attachment and a connection to Xbox through the value of Game Pass. Um, Because, you know, it all sounds great on paper, um, but, you know, the optics of Xbox are a different story. This kind of helps mitigate some of that um, by making the proposition a bit more attractive. Um, But again, it takes bolstering your first-party output to really make this uh, worthwhile. But hey, maybe a price point change can can do some 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 good, uh, at the very least. But uh, yeah, Pablo, that was an interesting conversation. Very Xbox centric this week. We will we will fix that by talking all about Zelda next week. Um, and Pablo's shit eating grin shall persist through all eight hours of that damn episode. Um, <laughs> Until then, that's going to do it for Pablo's evil laugh. That's going to do it for this week's show as well. Uh, Until next time, please be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at It's Cool Down Time and subscribe to our show so you don't miss our future episodes, including that one. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. I'm going to go check and see uh, Nintendo lets you play a Tuesday. See, this is where you're supposed to stop recording and not threaten people like Uh. that. We're, We're done right now. Click. Make me feel good.